Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you by Manufacture CT and sponsored by Cone Resnick. Advisory, assurance, tax, and online at coneresnick.com. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business. On this edition of Meet the Manufacturers, I have the great pleasure of speaking to Cathy Saint. Cathy is the president of Schwertel, based in Bridgeport, and it is great to have you with us today. Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers, Cathy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell me about Schwertel. I'm very proud that I managed to pronounce that, by the way. Tell me a little yeah. bit about the company and the products that you actually manufacture here in Connecticut. So our company is 143 years old this year, and my brother and I are partners in owning the company. We're the fourth generation, and we manufacture tools that are used by other manufacturers to decorate on their parts, mostly plastic injection molders that make things like everything from mascara tubes to Mr. Coffee Makers that want to get branding and artwork onto those parts. And so we make the tools that do that. And then we also make Make tools that are used in the automation and assembly industry for heat sealing parts or for grabbing and moving parts like the little fingers that go on the end of robot arms that oh, yeah, will yeah. grab pieces yeah and move them along nobody ever thinks about the fact that there somebody makes those you know no, and it's no. usually not the robot guys they're they usually make all the way up to that point and then that point has to be kind of customized to fit whatever products are being moved so that happens more by design with either the integrators that are designing their entire assembly systems or in-house automation systems. So we're always dealing with other engineers and other companies that are making things. I'm dying to say you give them a hand. Boom, boom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, so mascara tubes and uh, yeah. some great design opportunities there as well. And a 140-year history is nothing to be sniffed at. So tell me a little bit about... I guess your company's place in the manufacturing industry. You're based in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Is that where your main operation is? Yes, we have one factory and it's in Bridgeport and has been since 1879. That wow. same building we've moved uh, two times over all of those years. So yeah, we're located in the poorest city in the richest county in the country and uh, with the biggest education gap. And so outside of work, I spend a pretty decent amount of time working on trying to help support education and trying to work on improving STEM education in particular, and also to create pipelines for inner city people to find jobs in manufacturing where they can earn good wages and benefits and live a good life. Thinking about your career, so tell me a little bit about how you got to this point in your career have you always been in manufacturing was it always written in the stars for you so to speak no and actually i have a, a little pack of girlfriends who own manufacturing companies like i do and almost none of them intended to go into the <laughs> manufacturing most of them second generation third generation never wanted to have anything to do with the company wanted to go off and do something different and some of them did and then ended up 
back at their family businesses for one reason or another and then never left because they loved it. And that's really my story. I worked at the company when I was young, uh, out of college for a few years. And then I left and um, had my wonderful daughter and spent some years raising her and also sold real estate for a little bit. And then my sister was actually planning on running the company. And my brother was working in the company. And my sister asked if I could come back and just kind of temp there since somebody was on maternity leave. And so I did. And then when that finished up, there was a real need for training in the company uh, because we were growing quite quickly. And so I started getting involved in training and helping some of the English as a second language people work through their GED. Not that I spoke their language, but somehow we managed to figure things out. (laughs) And and I really loved that. I loved, um, you know, thinking about improving the systems and really being involved in a hands-on way. And I worked in a lot of different departments. And then over time, my sister went in a different direction. And I ended up being the one that stayed and took over the running of the business. And my brother's been my partner. He really is more involved on the technical side of things and wasn't really all that interested in the management side. And so, you know, we kind of divided things up and and supported each other. and, And it's worked out very well for the two of us. So I I ended up being not where I thought I was going to be, but actually in the very perfect place for me. Uh, Life has a funny way of doing that, isn't it? Uh, The best laid plans and all that. What is it they say? Uh, Make plans and God laughs. But I do love the fact that you started essentially at the family business as a temp and are now the president. (laughs) There's uh, there's something quite endearing about that. I do like it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yep. So as the president, tell me more about what does your average day look like? What does a regular day look like for Kathy Saint? Describe some of your, I guess, roles and responsibilities within the business. Oh, man. Um, well, to take a step back from that, I could be the poster child for ADD. Um, I, I, have, I, I, I'm really great if I'm really interested in something and I'm hyper-focused on it, I can dig really deep into it, but if I'm not really interested in it, I really struggle with, you know, managing my attention, my organization, any, every aspect of it. And so basically I like to think about strategy and technology and those aspects of the business. And then what I do is I I have really great people who support me in the things that I'm not so good at, that are that are very organized and very smart and very capable in the day-to-day operations. And I really try and focus mainly on the strategy side of the business. I mean, that to me sounds like the great adage, which is a good manager employs good people. Um, yeah. Oh my God. That. You know that they're. Area of specialism. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I mean, they're amazing. And when you talk about family business, uh, you know, we really care about each other. We're 20 people, not that big, but we almost never have anybody leave every you know we we know each other i have i have um one employee who's been with us for 52 years wow uh, literally since you know he, he got out of the service yep. and and i have plenty of people who have been with us for 20 or 30 years and then we have a batch of new people we call them the j team because all of them have names that start with j no way and, <laughs> yeah and they're 
fantastic. They're smart. They're they're hardworking. They're wonderful, and they just fit in to the rest of the group and bring a whole new kind of energy. I a couple of them. Uh, one guy in particular has a beautiful voice, and I hear him. You know, I can hear out in the factory him singing away, and wow. uh, it's it's pretty cool. You know, like, it sounds like a real family environment. You know, that like a real support yeah. and close knit family, which kind of yeah. leads me on to if somebody was looking for potentially to develop a career for themselves in manufacturing, indeed, why should they? Uh, what sort of skills are you looking for in your new employees, essentially, other than the fact their name needs to begin with the letter J? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, obviously there's a need for them to have uh, good math skills and good communication skills. The truth is I'm more interested in you know, they've got to be smart, but I'm more interested in their character and their kind of their philosophy about life and their ability to really be part of a team than I am in the specific skills that they bring to the table. Because one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is when you hire people into manufacturing and they're coming out of high school, say, um, and even from a technical school so that they've got a pretty good background. And that's one of the places that most of us prefer to look first because they've had four years of hands-on activities and training in the equipment and reading blueprints and the math, the different kinds of software that are used, all those types of things. They're coming out with that, but they're still really starting practically at ground zero when they get into the shop because there is such a long learning curve to getting somebody really fully up to speed in today's advanced manufacturing companies. By the time that they're there, by the time they've finished the, maybe it would be 8,000 hours to be in a fully trained apprentice and, and be a, a master in their trade, they're at the equivalent of at least a four-year college education and in some areas beyond that because you know like with all education you start out very broad and shallow and then the more you progress you get to a more narrow focus and and deeper in on the subject matter and to be a machinist in today's world and a programmer you've got to have some pretty crazy um, skills to get there and it doesn't happen overnight. So really we're looking for the person with the basic aptitude and more importantly, the attitude. So it's really about recruiting people who are going to fit seamlessly into your team and then obviously yeah. develop their specialism as time goes on. It's kind of uh, refreshing to hear, you know, uh, certainly for me, certainly moving to America, it was very much a case of we want you to have a master's before we're going to look at your resume. And I find when I've been doing this series of podcasts, it's so refreshing that, yes, you are looking for some really defined core skills, but you are still prepared to develop them to ensure that they're the perfect fit for your business moving forward, which I, I find I find terribly exciting. It's a great opportunity for young people in Connecticut, that's for sure. And it makes perfect sense because honestly, if you think about it, the cost of making a mistake in hiring is massive because it's not just the the time that you've spent trying to get them 
to fit in, you know, whether it's a round peg in a square hole. And it's not certainly not, you know, always the person's. In fact, it's never the person's fault. It's it's almost always a confluence of of things that make it not work on both sides. But the lost time that you spent is just the half of it. It's the lost opportunity with the right person that you missed too. Yeah. So, yeah. And I've made mistakes over the years, and you know, hired people that turned out to not be a good fit. Um, and and a lot of times I've helped them find positions at different places where it would be a better fit. Absolutely. Um, you know, somebody who maybe would be in a more structured environment, or somebody who would maybe be more of a fit for an environment that has true production. We're a custom mm. job shop. And so every single thing that we do is different. And yeah. last year we shipped out over 87,000 individual parts to customers wow. with, you know, really high, like 98%. I'll have to look up the exact figure, but 98% rate on quality and, and, to do that, you've got to have people who are really good at paying attention to detail and who are really good troubleshooters and process improvers. Those are all the aspects that make all of us stronger when you have a team that's like that. Can you tell me more about, I don't know, the equipment or the machinery that you use in your shop? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit oh, yeah. about that. So we have a, a decent tool room with quite a bit of CNC machining capability, including fourth axis CNC machining capability. And we also have a lathe with live tooling. So that gives us some extra capability in that area. And then we have some EDM machines, which are used in my world for building our own molds. We do all of our own mold building in-house. And in addition to that, we do molding of silicone. That's that's our primary product is silicone bonded to aluminum for uh, hot stamping dies and also for heat sealing dies and also for the little gripper fingers. So those are very large vulcanizers, big ovens that press the silicone and uh, and then some basic fabricating equipment. So it's it's. Looks like a lot of other poems out there. Yeah, great. I think the area that we differ a little bit is we have some very expensive pieces of really high-speed CNC machining equipment that gives us the ability to do really, really tiny, fine detail work. So obviously we are in the middle of a worldwide pandemic at the moment, hopefully coming to the end of it, one would hope. How have you seen the pandemic affect your business on the day-to-day? The first uh, half of last year was really, really challenging. Huge drop in sales. Um, Actually, even before March, we started seeing it. And it might have been partly related to the cosmetics industry, which was actually already in a global slump. Who would have thought, you know, Mm. that the cosmetics industry would have a slump? Uh, But it was a real rough first half of the year. And the second half of the year was slightly better. The PPP money from the federal government was really a lifesaver for us, as for many other companies. And we used that time to also really work hard on our strategy for growth you know once yep. once things got back to normal worked on we worked with concept on trying to 
understand better where our product fit in as a, you know, from a value proposition standpoint in the automated assembly world. And they had a guy there named Eric Fogelman, who was phenomenal in helping us to get a better idea of how we could fit into that marketplace because it wasn't our core marketplace. It's, it's a shift for us. And also what aspects of our product were of the highest value to that market. And since then, we've seen steady growth in that area. So that has paid off. And we're continuing to work with them on some lean because the other thing that you do when you're slowing down in you don't want to lay anybody off as you try and keep people busy with process improvement projects. And so we've been working on that type of thing as well. Have you had but, any issue with uh, the supply chain at all, you know, during... Uh, uh, actually, that is starting now. I did not... We, we ordered ahead in the very, very beginning, yes. got some supplies stocked up on, and then really didn't have much of a problem. But now there are some real serious shortages in the supply chain on our metals. And we've been warned that silicone is being affected as well. So it's actually starting to creep up on us now. And is that because of the pandemic? It's not because of that boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal, is it? (laughs) It's actually both. It's actually both. Because I mean, man, that just, that that shut everything down for... You know, <laughs> you couldn't make up last year. You you actually just couldn't make up the catalog of things no, that no. have affected us so, so much so. And it's obviously led a lot of people to kind of reassess their work, their life, their home life. Everything has been reassessed oh. due to last year. It's fascinating. Yeah. And, th- and that's true. Um, just from the work at home standpoint, I did work. <laughs> My brother came in last March. And we had said, everybody who's non-essential, you all need, you know, we're going to figure out ways for you to work from home. Uh, We'll just have the people in the factory that have to be there. And so we got our customer service set up to be able to work from home and accounting to be able to work from home and everything. And I'm there at the company and my brother comes in to my office and he opens the door and he goes, "Uh, you're non-essential. You're going home now. Brilliant. So I packed up my laptop and came home and worked from home for, I don't know, like seven months or so, and then started going back a bit. And then the other thing is it made it, I have a daughter down in Georgia that I go to visit like every month, every 45 days to see her and my little granddaughter. And I've been flying down. And so I ended up driving from Connecticut to Georgia every month and a half, 15 hours each way. I hope it's a lease car. (laughs) (laughs) And well, the good news is it's uh, hybrid. So I got fired. But, you know, that was an opportunity for me to stop off and visit customers that you were able to see or meet them out in the parking lot. (laughs) And so that was good. And then we did learn that we could do a lot more remotely than we knew we could. No, it's been an incredible year and it's, it's changed so much. And now that we're coming, hopefully, towards the end of it, I'm starting to see some huge positives that have come out of it as well. And one of the things has been the working remotely. You know, we've managed to move Mm -hmm. on remote working maybe 10, 15 years. It's that for somebody like me who is a freelancer is fantastic. And the other thing is we've seen 
you know, more momentum being added to by American because of supply chain issues, you know, which is fantastic news for manufacturers like yourself. It's an interesting um, conundrum because there is one company in Connecticut that's a member of the Manufacturer CT uh, Association uh, called Gilman Gear, and they make football gear and all different kinds of things for, for football, for NFL and college and everything. The word came out from the governor, is there anybody who can make PPE equipment? And they were one of the companies that stepped up and they bought a bunch of machines and specialized sewing machines to augment the ones that they had and hired people and started making the surgical gowns for Yale and, uh, you know, all over the place. They're making like 10,000 gowns a day at one point. Incredible. But of course, China is making, you know, millions a day. Mm-hmm. And, oh no, they were making 10,000 a week, but that was, that saved us, you know. But Absolutely. now that it's all starting to come back in from China, you know, the orders are drying up. And so that's what, that's an important conversation that we need to have, mm-hmm. you know, with our legislators is how do we support these companies that can make this product? You're never going to get it down to the price that China is. But what's the real number? What's the right number that Americans are willing to pay in order to support their own and to have that kind of security? I'm afraid that this probably isn't the last time we're going to be going through this. Uh, And and how does this all happen? And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see with the Biden administration's funds that are coming out for infrastructure. And one of the things that's in there is trying to have better control over our own supply chain. So that could be great for manufacturers. If you could have a a couple of wishes for the future of manufacturing in America and maybe even more micro predictions, I guess, for Connecticut, what would they be? (laughs) This is this is maybe going to be a little bit out there. (laughs) Well, I'm looking for either your predictions or your wishes. You can have you can have either. I I, I won't go with a prediction. I'll I'll go with a wish. And and for those who know me well, there's never a a simple solution when you ask me a question like that. So one of the things, (laughs) you know, from a little guy looking out at the system and looking at, you know, our economy overall and how much attention is paid to Wall Street and how much money is invested and what a big chasm has developed between the wealthiest investors and then the rest of the country. And these people have a ton of money to invest. And I see that there's a big trend now for them in buying manufacturing, because once again, we're the popular kids in the class. I mean, for a long time, we were just the, you know, the nerds who were behind, you know, the times that, you know, when General Electric was saying, you know, America is going to be a service economy. Um, now everybody's starting to realize that that's not the case and that we need manufacturing and, oh, wow, so maybe we should buy some of those. And I'm sure that there are some good examples out there of companies that have bought manufacturers and done a beautiful job of running them and growing them and everything. But I have to say that from my limited observation, they're few and far between. What I see more frequently are investors who really don't understand manufacturing and how to run the companies and how to manage them, buying them, and then trying to get paid back by the company's income 
and driving the company right into the ground. And so my wish is that while manufacturing is popular, there that there would be some kind of change so that there's a bigger incentive for companies to stay private than there is to sell out or go public. Because I really feel that this, the private companies manage for long term, they care about their employees, they reinvest in themselves, and they really are the foundation, the steady foundation for our economy. Mm. When you see all the peaks and values, we're never the ones that caused uh, valleys, we're never the ones that caused it. And so that's really what I would love to see is for our politicians to understand and incentivize the value of privately owned businesses and manufacturing in particular. You heard it here first. If you're a legislator or you're in power, Kathy has spoken. That's what she wants. That's her wish. Make it happen. <laughs> we live and, in hope. And, and the ones who know me are out there rolling their eyes because they hear from me all the time. <laughs> hey, listen, the, is it the squeaky wheel gets the oil? Is that not the phrase here? Let me tell you, people will tell you I'm a very squeaky wheel. <laughs> Good girl. Good girl. You've got to stand up for something or you fall for everything. That's so, right. Tell me, when you're not focused on work and being the president, I do love that title. We don't have that in the UK. Um, <laughs> I do like it. When do you? It's funny because I never did. I was like, um, I just very I, grand. I, I, yeah, it's was too, it's too grand, and 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 it's just a, it's such a in in a lot of ways in my own company, it's such a joke because we really do have a team, and and you know. <laughs> my people rough me up probably more than than, <laughs> than the reverse um but you know i encourage that but yeah i mean i didn't even put it on my business card till probably like five years after i was president because <laughs> you know i didn't need to but then it, there came a point in time where this title actually served a purpose and so yeah. i was like yeah better put it on there but it, it um, looks good on linkedin kathy it looks good on linkedin I, well <laughs> hey and that's that's what matters. <laughs> so when you're not focused on being the president, uh, what do you like to do to relax? What do you like to do to unwind other than drive to Georgia every other month? Right. <laughs> um, I, my favorite thing is reading, and that's practically, that's most of what I do when I'm not working. And I love getting outdoors. What do you I like to read? Uh, historical fiction is probably my favorite, uh, but I read just about everything. I mean, I, I read a lot of uh, books on psychology, which was my major in school. My daughter's a psychologist. And I also like reading biographies about really interesting people. That's always exciting and inspiring keeps you busy if you yeah. could have dinner with any figure in history albeit dead or alive who would you choose and what questions might you ask your dinner guests <laughs> a... <laughs> um the first person so anybody in history oh i'm thinking contemporary i could go back in time you can go back in time you can go anywhere you like a couple of people you would like as your dinner guests <sighs> We wouldn't want King Henry VIII because God no. knows what. No. <laughs> He's a bit handy with a guillotine. I wouldn't. <laughs> you want to know? You want to know who I'd really love to have been able to have dinner with would have been Prince. Yes, he was like so awesome. And and I remember learning um, not too many years ago that he was like an insanely good basketball player, and had like a. Hang on, hang on, Kathy. Now look, far be it from me to say you're wrong. 
But you are aware that Prince was five foot two. Yes, and wore <laughs> giant heels and played basketball in heels. He was an insanely good basketball player and had a full size regulation NBA court at his house no. and played. Yes, and and uh, besides being you know just a genius musically and so creative, yeah, I would love to just sit down and listen to him. What a fantastic answer, but I've just got this image of Prince playing basketball that's done me now, five foot two. I don't, I'm glad he chose music and being creative over basketball, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> what a wonderful answer, Kathy, wonderful answer. Okay, so what would you say has been your greatest success in life, both professionally and personally, and why? Well, personally um, is my daughter. She's absolutely amazing. She's a professor down at University of Georgia and just beautiful, funny, kind, incredibly kind and wise. And, and watching her raising my granddaughter it's, I, you know, of course, wish that I could go back and do it over again using all the wonderful tools that she's uh, using that she, you know, got exposed to from uh, not just her education and her research, which was around early childhood development and brain development of babies, but also um, just her own personal going down the rabbit hole, which is what I do with anything that I'm interested in. So that's for whatever measure of credit I can take there, that that certainly would be it. And everybody who knows her would agree. And professionally, I think that I was at the helm of the company through some tremendously challenging times. I mean, when you think about it, a company that's over 140 years old, you know, we've been through the depression. We've been through two world wars and the Vietnam War and the dot-com bust and the Great Recession and uh, then our current COVID crisis. And I was at the helm when we were going through the Great Recession and it was particularly challenging for us because we had, because of China, you know, all the plastic injection molding moving to China, we had lost probably close to 50% of our sales over a few years wow. prior to the recession and we're climbing our way back out. And then the recession hit and it just pulled the rug out from under us. And at that same point in time, my father and my uncle were retiring. We needed to move the business out of the buildings that they owned and uh, so that they would be able to sell them. And shepherding the company through that was really challenging. And I think that probably one of the things that is the good news and the bad news about me is I'm not a worrier. I just keep putting one foot in front of the other and thinking and, and planning and working uh, my way through a process. And then I go home and I leave it there. And I go back the next day and keep trying to move the pieces forward some more. And so I think in a weird way, I was the right person for that very difficult time in the, in the company for getting us through that. And so I'm, I'm, proud of what everybody did and I'm proud of myself for that. Oh, rightly so and, and what a wonderful phrase to use shepherding the company through those difficult times and, and 140 years is something to be exceptionally <laughs> proud of particularly in sort of the economic situations that you've been through just phenomenal. 
Yeah, and on the flip side, you don't want to be the generation that like you know yeah. runs it off. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> then we passed it to Kathy, and look what happened. Look at that. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Right. What a legacy. Uh, last question for you, Kathy. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit then about your plans. So we're coming out of this pandemic. We're moving. Yeah into spring summer tell me about your plans both personally and professionally i guess uh for the for the coming years you know we normally say five or ten year plans what 2020 mm-hmm. has taught me is let's not even go that far what's the future hold for kathy saint um a lot of traveling this year and next year i'm now that things are starting to open back up and i'll have my second shot tomorrow um uh and companies are actually interested in you know having us in uh i'm going to be just doing a lot of traveling to customers and as i do that i'll be learning more and more about what they need and adapting what we're doing to meet those needs so that's really the focus is um you know everybody at the company throwing me out (laughs) pick up some air miles get her out of the office you're non-essential you're (laughs) non-essential and what about what about personally um reading personally (laughs) you know i'm gonna be i'm gonna be 65 this year no way I know. So it's crazy. And I can't wait to get Medicare <laughs> and, and, and get me off of the company's health insurance so we don't have to pay for me anymore. Um, Tell it like it is, Kathy. Tell it yeah. like it is. <laughs> and um, and I'm really uh, hoping that I'll get to a point in sometime in the next five years, because I, I really don't intend to retire probably ever. I want to be involved at some level. Um, But I hope that I'll have a little bit more free time for doing a little bit of traveling with my husband, spending some more time with my daughter. And I've also got eight grandkids, seven of them are up here. And so getting to spend more time with the seven that are up here, I want to do some more skiing. Um, I just bought a season's pass for next year so that I can get get back out um, skiing again and get some hiking and things like that in. Oh, it sounds like heaven to me. Absolutely. Snow in the outdoors. You've got me. I wish you all the luck in the world. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for your time and being a part of Meet the Manufacturers on behalf of Manufacturer CT. Kathy Saint, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of Meet the Manufacturers, brought to you by Manufacture CT. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT or you would like to join the organisation, you can visit the website manufacturect.org. This podcast is sponsored by Cone Resnick, one of the largest accounting, tax and business advisory companies in the United States. Visit their website for more details, coneresnick.com. Cone Resnick. Advisory. Assurance. Tax.